Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform of course you choose to follow us on. And the F1 summer break is still very much at large. I think some of us are now starting to get itchy feet or starting to get a bit twitchy over not having any F1 to enjoy. Of course, there's been plenty of sport to be enjoying over the course of the summer. Of course, we've just had the Euro finals, which of course, we're not going to be talking about that too often, still hurting (laughs) from that. Um, We've had the Olympics, which of course, my guest will certainly have enjoyed, um, probably more so than I have for obvious reasons, although it's kind of expected considering where she's from. Um, And of course, the Premier League season is back. Um, for some fans, that's a good thing. For fans like myself, not so much, depending on how your team got on over the weekend. But of course, we're not going to be talking about any of that, thankfully. We are going to be talking about Formula One and obviously motorsport in general. And with me today, in the first episode that I'm recording, of course, this one is going to be coming out, I think, uh, time of recording this. This one's probably going to be coming out on Thursday. Um yeah, this is just for my benefit, just to remind myself, I've got this all <laughs> okay. planned out. But yes, without further ado, of course, my first guest that I'm recording with, I should say, is uh, someone who I've known for a little while now. And I'll I tell you what, guys, her content is really, really good. And I'm really looking forward to introducing her and talking to her uh, a little bit more about, you know, getting to know her better. And of course, for you guys, obviously, finding out more about the woman behind the channel itself. So without any further ado, of course, it is the creator of Relapt F1 and one quartet of the Outlap F1 podcast. It's Deanna. Deanna, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? Yeah, of course. I'm great. Thank you for having me. This is my first time doing anything like this. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, I should say it's fantastic to have you on the show. But, of course, <laughs> um, the reason for this series, of course, I've always been intrigued um, about, you know, a new influx of content creators, women content creators, I should say, and trying to understand a bit more about what they enjoy about the sport and obviously how they got into the sport, because traditionally speaking, for a long, long time, for obviously the wrong reasons, Formula One and motorsport has always been seen a little bit of a boys gentlemen's club, if you like. And for one reason or another, it always seems a bit strange for some people why women get involved in Formula One as in the same way that they get involved in other sports. So I'm always intrigued to learn from content creators like this and of course you know talk to the women behind these uh, channels to find a bit more about them and a bit more about their content so Deanna 
without me mincing words and going on and on and on about what we're doing here, of course, um, because I, I could literally talk for Britain, it's that bad sometimes. Um, how, did, how did it all begin for you in terms of motorsport? What was it that first inspired you or first, you know, first thing that you could remember, what made you really enjoy watching it and thinking, yeah, I've got to get some more of that? Yeah, so, I mean, I grew up watching Top Gear, so I always kind of loved cars and that kind of culture. And we would watch races, anything from F1 to NASCAR, if they were on. But I never got into a series, per se. Um, that was until a couple of years ago, the 2019 German Grand Prix, it came on, I caught a replay of it and that race was amazing. And I was just instantly hooked. And from that moment, I just learned absolutely everything I could about it. I've watched every single race and, and nearly every practice session. I don't watch every practice session, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, since, since then, and it's just been, yeah, there's just so much stuff about it. There's so many stories that I love. Um, and, and that's a lot of the reason why I go back and watch the historic stuff too, because there's just, there's so much history. There's so much drama that's happened over the course of time. There's so much development in the cars themselves. Um, and I just think, yeah, I find it so interesting and, it, and it's been, been a great journey here. Well, that's a really interesting race that you brought up. Of course, 2019 was absolute chaos in that German Grand Prix. I think it was yeah. Mercedes who were turning up with their fancy new livery and everything else. Yes. And then all of a sudden they had the, the double stacking in the pit stop, something they've been famous for over the years of mastering and perfecting and complete chaos completely ensued as well. I, I also believe that was the last race Pierre Gasly had at Red Bull before he got his demotion or it certainly was a big crash that he, he had in qualifying. So he had hungry after that. So actually yes. Gasly is a funny point because that's a right when I started to get in. So you can tell from my channel, I, I'm a Gasly fan. If there's one driver, it's probably him. Um, but I always love that underdog story. And that's kind of what I typically am cheering for. Uh, why not necessarily? I, I, I cheer for Lewis every race. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I watched him. It was like two races later after I started watching. He got dropped and you just you just felt for the kid. And then Antoine passing and, and all of that. Um, so, yeah, that anyway, that's just my my obsession with Gasly. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot to like about Pierre Gasly from as a driver. Um, I definitely rate him very, very highly. I'm not sure yeah. if he's really there with the upper echelon of drivers like the Maxes and the Lewises. I think he's definitely yeah. in the ballpark of the likes of Leclerc, Sainz, Norris, Ricardo, etc. Um, yeah. But of course, I think we need to put him in a competitive car again to kind of find out how good he really is now compared to how he was a few years ago. Because I think you and I probably both agree he certainly wasn't ready for an opportunity mm -hmm. of that magnitude. <laughs> and he was kind of thrusted into it because of the conveyor belt that the Red Bull Driver Academy was at the time. And obviously, Ricardo going to Renault kind of shook everything up in that regard. But um, I'm actually quite interested to learn about this because I didn't know that you were such a big fan of Top Gear. How, how did that come about? Because Top Gear in America, from what I remember, it only turned up on the screens, say, recently, the last, uh, well, quite a few years now. But it was quite late in the series before it turned up in America. I mean, I probably remember it from as young as being like 10 or so, um, maybe, but we have a, we have a BBC channel, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and they mostly played Top Gear because I imagine that's probably one of the bigger shows, but yeah, it would play at night and we would, my whole entire family would watch it and my brother couldn't care less about cars at all. Uh, but he loved that show just because of, because of the, what well, the personality that, that they brought to it. Um, and it was just an entertaining product. Um, but I think it spiraled out of that for me, the love for cars as well. Um, 
necessarily my brother did not get. Um, but also my dad is, is super into cars. So some, every once in a while we would watch like the Meekum car auctions and and he would know a lot of those cars from like the 60s and the 70s and, and, and kind of talk about those. So I remember a lot of that growing up. Oh, that's great. I mean, I love Top Gear probably for the same reasons. I mean, I do like my cars. I wouldn't exactly call myself a petrol head. Um, yeah. I, think, I think when it comes to racing cars, I'm a massive nerd for that sort of thing. But yeah. one thing I enjoyed about Top Gear was basically free mates, obviously quite older gentlemen who just run around, you know, pulling pranks yep. on each other, having a laugh, but just driving cars. And apparently it's meant to be a car show. Um, yeah. <laughs> not quite sure about that. I kind of prefer the direction it went compared to where Top Gear originally was many, many years ago when... It pretty much was a car show, but you know, each to their own. But uh, I mean, I've got to ask as well. Did you follow the Grand Tour, of course, after Clarkson was sacked from the BBC? Yeah, I've I've watched a lot of those. And I think maybe, so pre that race in Germany, I, I think they had a feature, I think it was on the Grand Tour, about Jim Clark. And I remember watching that and being super interested in it. And I watched it a couple of times before watching that race. So I think that kind of did start the kind of balls turning in my head um, of like, oh, this is really cool. This is such an interesting story and all this stuff and all the different series he, he competed in and, and succeeded in. Um, so yeah, I think it was from the Grand Tour and that was something that I've, I've if you haven't seen it, I suggest it. Yeah, no, I definitely uh, second that recommendation as well. I mean, it's funny you bring up Jim Clark. I always consider Jim to be one of the greatest drivers of all time, if not the all-round greatest driver of all time. I think for those people that obviously weren't familiar with Jim Clark, I definitely recommend looking him up because the achievements that Jim had in motorsport, let alone Formula One, was absolutely remarkable. And I think a lot of the drivers, even you see today, they always pay homage to someone like Jim Clark. Obviously, they wouldn't have experienced what it was like to watch him race growing up because they were too young, but it was something special about Jim in particular. In the same way, perhaps we talk about yeah. Lewis Hamilton. So pre-starting the channel, I did watch a ton of races or whatever I could find between 63 and 77. Um, so actually, the green is not accurate, but the green from my channel, I got that idea from his Lotus in 65, 63. I don't remember the actual like car. Was it the 49? The it. I think it was. Something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was from that car was what, what inspired the green on my channel. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. I just, yeah, love the story of, of his whole race and career and life and yeah. And for the Aston Martin fans out there, that is what British Racing Green looks like, not the green that they yes. have on their car. I, do you know what? I'm, I really find it annoying that when they unveiled their car, it looked fantastic, minus the pink part, but I've kind of grown to like it. Um, the fact that so many people are calling it British Racing Green, I'm like, Aston Martin have never had British <laughs> Racing Green on their car. I don't know where yeah. this got lost. It was more for the Jaguars and the Lotuses of the 60s, as you mentioned. So I don't know where that yeah. got lost in translation, but... <laughs> Here we are. But, um, I, yeah, well, yeah. on this Aston, I was hoping for the lime green, but it didn't happen. <laughs> I think it worked out well for you, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, to be honest, I, I mean, I had a really, really nice banner designer of mine. A good friend uh, did mine and because I have no talent when it comes to the art stuff or anything like that. I think yeah. I can relate to you on the level that I think you said on one of your videos that you completely learned everything from scratch when it comes to making videos. Yeah. And I kind of did the same thing want to sort of make videos although my videos are more podcast related than a few other bits and you can see by some of the, the separate videos I make that I've still got some way to go in terms of <laughs> learning to video edit on a professional level but no yours are actually really really good in that regard I must say um yeah so I started and I think that was kind of what was so daunting about this task as a whole like I didn't I've never done anything relatively creative in my life um so i I my college major was fairly technical. We were talking about earlier. I was an accounting major and, and kind of have stayed in finance after that. So never did anything on the creative type-ish side. Um, so 
using a using social media. I never used social media growing up. So just kind of how to use it, which was a weird learning curve. I think, um, never used Photoshop editing videos, um, kind of how to edit a video together and try and make it seem like some kind of cohesive story. Um, I just think SEO, like on all the videos and like all this stuff, it's just nonstop, nonstop learning. Um, and every single time, well, I think what helped me a lot was when I first started, I was trying to do a video almost every single weekday. I never achieved that once, but I was putting out like three to four videos a week when I was doing all of those race reactions for, I think it was the 79 season. Um, so I was just getting a ton of experience. Luckily there weren't a lot of people watching, so I could just do, they were a hot, hot mess, but, um, that was a great way to get a lot of experience quickly. Um, but still a ton to learn, but I try to just every single time post a video, do something differently, whether it be on the editing side, on like the channel description and all of the kind of title thumbnail, all that stuff, um, and, or anything like that. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite the process. Yeah, I, I can. Uh, well, I say I can imagine. I completely understand what you mean because I think when you start doing videos on YouTube or making podcasts, of course, for us it was a case of, uh, you know, you just make a podcast and then you just have like an image of some sort just for the benefit of a YouTube video. But the reality is, obviously, that people want to see you. People want to see uh, a bit more than just a still image. And it's like, okay, you got to make those videos, and you think, okay, I'll try and see how many of these I can make in a week, and then you just realize very, very quickly that YouTube is very much a full-time job if you want to be able to put yeah. up content on a, let's say, regular basis all the time. And I think for channels like ours, that's probably not doable. Um, I think you have to go into gaming or other stuff like that to actually even come close yeah. to actually producing that kind of content on a regular basis. But for your channel in particular, Deanna, I know you obviously alluded already onto making videos reacting to um, races from the late 70s and early 80s, probably one of the golden periods or Formula One racing in particular. Um, I mean, it, it's weird. I, t I talk about that era. Obviously, I had no idea what that was like growing up. I obviously had to watch videos of it uh, through the archives <laughs> like yourself. But for your channel, you obviously, you've come quite a long way quite quickly. Obviously, you started it around August last year. And um, you've passed the 5K mark already. So congratulations on that. And you've seen you. such a rapid rise in such a short time. Um is there any reason in particular why you wanted to start reacting to the 70s and 80s? Is that a period that you have perhaps a bit more of a romantic sentiment towards? No, I just wanted to watch all of the races. And, and that's still my goal. It's been very much slowed down. But because I wanted to be able to say, like, I understood the history. I understood kind of the Senna's period in F1 and Schumacher and Prost and like all these great drivers. And I wanted to see that firsthand. I wanted to watch those races and kind of come to those conclusions on my own, not just saying like X is the greatest driver ever, but I wanted to actually see all of these drivers race and come to that conclusion on my own. Um, and then I just think there's all sorts of different kind of drivers and stories that get lost along the way. Um, that maybe kind of get overshadowed by the Senna Schumachers of the world. Um, so I just thought going back and watching all these races would be a great way to experience that and learn and, and, and kind of, yeah. I mean, not to sound like a massive nerd for your channel, because I have enjoyed a lot of videos on it, particularly for that reason, obviously watching some of the races back, because it's so hard to find that footage. So sometimes you have to rely on channels like yours, where you've been able to obtain that footage, react to it, and you're like, okay, just watch that back. But I'm curious, because and forgive me if you've made this video already, I haven't seen it, I'll have to check it out. But have you seen the 79 race battle at the French Grand Prix between René Arnoux and uh, Gilles Villeneuve? Yes, I have. And that was 
I have a like love for Jabui because he just could never stop retiring ever. But that was actually his very first race win. But everybody just rem- remembers it for Villeneuve versus Arnaud. But yeah, yes, <laughs> that's that's why I, I love that race a lot. Uh, I think it's just kind of the irony of Jabui's career. In a way, it is. It's kind of got a hallmark <laughs> similar to um, Alessandro Nanini back in uh, 89 between Prost and Senna. The headlines were about those two, and he won the race, obviously, owing to Senna's disqualification. But if, obviously, if you are a younger F1 fan and you obviously won't know what me and Diana are talking about, I definitely recommend you going on YouTube and looking up the 1979 French Grand Prix, the battle between René Arnoux and Gilles Verne. Of course, you can also check that out on Diana's channel by the sounds of it if you want the uh, reaction from uh, my <laughs> guest as well. So, uh, yeah, that that... Is a sort that's the sort of race that I would love to show people. If you don't know much about Formula One or you don't understand what makes it so pure or something about it that makes it so exciting to watch, you just have to watch that battle in particular. And I'm guarantee you'll definitely want to watch more of it before you get bored of it. If you probably Absolutely. won't, but <laughs> um but uh yeah, um on the topic, obviously, those older races, of course there's a sentiment to them, and I always like looking back through the F1 archives because there are some serious battles and rivalries in F1 history. Of course, we have our own version of that today to some degree, but some of those in particular were next level. Um, Do you prefer the older battles or the older championship series back in the 70s and 80s versus what we have now, or are you more interested in what we have at the moment? Um, I would say, well, the racing product as a whole, I would say today I prefer uh, just Top to bottom, the grids are so much closer uh, than they ever were. There's a lot of somewhat dull races back then. And because uh, you've got cars going on the same tires, fuel to the end, and there are large, large gulfs between them. So sometimes it's just a, a battle of uh, who can, whose car can last the longest. Um, so, but when you get the racing back then, it is really excellent. So I think as a racing, like as a product, I would, I much prefer today. Uh, but I think a lot of the history, I, it's the drama around it. It's kind of the birdie kind of coming to power, all of the focus fees and stuff. There's just a, a, like, there's so much feels like there's much more going on in the background. Um, and I think it's just constant drama and bickering and, and all that kind of stuff, which I just find fun. And yeah. This is a bit of an F1 history lesson almost, almost. And uh, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely down uh, to see more of that. Obviously when you're making more videos in the future, I'll definitely have to check those out. Cause I mean, some of those races in particular, I really, really enjoyed those. And I think it is quite refreshing to hear fans sort of our age and even younger than that talking uh, about those sort of races in such great detail and always having such a huge admiration for those guys because, I mean, Formula One back in those days was a completely different era to what we have now and it's so much more... Uh, it was so much more dangerous, of course. Um, the sense of speed, even though the cars were slower back then, the sense of speed is certainly greater and... There's a level of racing, I think, between uh, the drivers at that time that's just completely different to now. Maybe I sound like a bit of a nostalgic, but um, yeah, there's something about that that I really, really enjoyed. I mean, for you, Deanna, was it all of those elements that really appealed to you from that era? Or was it just, um, you know, I'm loving F1, I want to learn more about it, and you just sort of dived into the history? Yeah, that's about where I went because that's the first time I could find races. And so I always knew I wanted to start. Well, it started as a podcast, my channel. And that was not, it's not good. But, <laughs> um, and then I went um, into the actual channel. But I was just, I wanted to start with the very first season where I could find every single full race. 
um, and 78 happened to be it. Um, so that's just the reason that I landed there. Uh, I did watch races from earlier than that, it, but they were just sporadic. Um, any random stuff I could find on YouTube. Uh, so those were races from like 63 to 77. Um, but yeah, my biggest recommendation though of everything I've ever watched is the 1971 Italian Grand Prix. Um, that is like six cars minimum battling for the lead from start to finish um, and absolute the most insane race I think that has ever and may ever happen. Yeah, no, I, I can't really sell it any more than that, to be honest. I think I'll be doing it injustice um, with a review, anything different to what you've just said. Um, out of curiosity, I, I'm always interested to know about how creators get into YouTube and obviously their reason for starting their channels. Um, what, what's your reason in particular for starting a F1 related YouTube channel? Yeah. So I think having a YouTube channel, like, I mean, I feel like I started or like watched a lot of YouTube since I was in high school. Um, so just kind of watched it for years and kind of cycled through stuff. And I've always kind of like joked with friends about starting a channel. I think we all kind of did. Uh, it just, I was the one that actually did it. Uh, but the reason I did it was because of COVID I was at home and I had a knee surgery. Um, so I was, all of my friends were back in New York and I was at home in North Carolina, just laying in bed with my busted knee <laughs> and I had nothing to do. Um, and so I just needed an outlet that wasn't just work. Um, and I just came up with the channel. Um, it started with, I first started, I just started a Twitter account because at that point I didn't talk to anybody about F1 in, in my life. Um, so I was like, I just want to like talk to other people or just like, even if I just tweet to absolutely no one, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I just like needed to get it off my chest. So that's how, so I started with a Twitter account and then I was like, I'm going to go back and watch all these races. And I was going to do that, whether I had the channel or not, or I wanted to do that if I had it or not. But then I was like, oh, well, what if I start doing what started out to do the podcast? And then that spiraled it. Well, so it started as a podcast and that just wasn't growing and it just wasn't. I didn't love doing the podcast that much because I would have to watch the race and like write these giant outlines and then like read out the outlines. And it was, it took probably almost more time than it does for me to do a full YouTube video um, and the research and, all, and everything for that. And so I was just like so cumbersome and then I didn't like the end product. I didn't feel a lot of my personality came through it. Um, so then I made the decision to switch to YouTube and, and I think that's been the right one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can totally understand that. I think, when I started this podcast with my co-host Courtney, who uh, sadly isn't with us at the moment, he's uh, enjoying a relaxing weekend, um, doing whatever he is he's doing, but I'm sure he'll be back very, very soon. Um, you know, it, it's weird because we had a similar, uh, we always we always wanted to talk about Formula One. We always wanted to make a channel or a podcast in particular where we just, you know, reviewed races and had general discussions about F1 as you do. And you know, just see if there was anyone interested that actually wanted to hear it. And obviously over time that's grown, you know, steadily. I'm hoping it will have an exponential growth at some point in the near future, but maybe that's more on me than anything else. Um, you know, that I'm, you know, if anyone's watched this channel, they always know I take the piss out of myself. That's literally my shtick. So um, it, it's normal behavior, but um, yeah, you, you kind of look at it from where you first start off and you think, you always get that dreaded feeling thinking, oh, am I just wasting my time? What, you know, is what am I doing? You know, is this not working out for me? And obviously you grow and you do different bits and try different niches and eventually something will stick. And I, yeah. I can totally relate to that. Um, I, I'm guessing when you started off the podcast, it was it was just you. Was there anyone else involved? 
in that process? So I had one of my friends kind of helped me to start where she was just like, I was just bouncing ideas off of her and and she helped me a lot with that and listen to it and and everything. And um, so, but it was just me talking. It was just me um, on the podcast itself, but I did have a friend that helped me a lot. lot. And then another one that that actually designed the actual relap, my banner and everything like that. Um, But that was probably about the only help I got right at the beginning. And then since then I've done everything. No, I mean, it sounds good. Obviously, it's grown quite a lot in such a short time. And, um, you know, obviously, depending on where you decide to take it, um, I mean, what kind of videos have you got planned for the future, if you don't mind me asking? Have you got, is it going to be more reaction videos or are we going to try and venture maybe into perhaps some driving, actually? I I remember you mentioning you haven't driven much or raced much. So I'm quite intrigued to hear about your uh, history, if you like, behind the wheel. Yeah, so, well, for me, I mean, yeah, I just kind of drove, I had a Honda Civic, which <laughs> it had its times. Uh, it broke down a lot. I got trapped in a Walmart parking lot on multiple occasions, um, lost power steering, brakes in traffic, melted the cylinder heads at one point. Um, so that was, that, that was my first car. My second car has been a lot better, but I'm, I live in the city, so I don't have a car um, because it just doesn't make sense. It's way too expensive. So I don't do a lot of driving typically, um, but I have one time, we have this thing called like extreme experience. They just basically go around to a bunch of tracks in the U S um, and then take a bunch of uh, different supercars and stuff like that. So I drove a 488 once uh, and it was the like Ferrari three laps around part of the Roval at Charlotte, um, which was fun. Uh, and I think I'm going to do that again with my dad later this year, but we also are probably going to try to go karting. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll try to make more contact with that. I do kind of like hate walking around with a camera and like in public, that still makes me a little bit like, yeah, um, I tried it last weekend in Nashville, um, but I was just like filming things and it was normal, but I don't know if showing up like, hi, I'm here to cart with like a camera and everything, uh, is, I don't know (laughs) if I'll see that one, but I I probably should try. Uh, but yeah, but for content for the channel, um, it probably is mostly going to stay reactions. Um, I'm kind of... I think now that, so I started doing the 2021 reactions just because I knew it would get vastly more traffic than my like historic ones. And that's true. Um, So right now I'm playing with that format. I'm trying to figure out the best way to cover those races now that makes it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more kind of algorithm friendly. Um, So working, I still want to do more historic stuff. Still going to do the current race reactions. I'm getting really, really into IndyCar. So hopefully some more stuff with that. Um, and then maybe a couple, I did that like one little sim racing video of me, like driving around Silverstone horribly. Uh, so maybe some more of that just cause I had fun doing that. And it was just very quick and easy video. So, uh, just to kind of throw some stuff out there. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's funny because there's so much to unpick from all of that. I'm going to go through bit by bit, but <laughs> when you mentioned, um, the sim racing video, obviously you did an F1 2021 video of the, I think if I misquoted the title, the, uh, not the correct way to go through Silverstone. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember seeing that and I thought, oh my God, that's like a pov of Mahavir Ranganathan going around Silverstone or something like that. And then he did really well. And then I did a similar video on that on my channel, obviously a much smaller channel and it got hardly anyone was interested. I'm like, for goodness sake like i drove around how you're supposed to drive around silverstone obviously everyone wants to see people crashing and going crazy like you were so uh clearly i'm missing a trick and this youtube algorithm just sucks (laughs) yeah i think the youtube algorithm is it's just that's been a really interesting bit i think of, of learning through all of this stuff um 
trying to make like it's the thumbnail, the thumbnails, the thumbnails, the titles, <laughs> descriptions, and kind of editing to make watch time longer and trying to get viewers to come back and getting actual engagement on the channel, um, which I've like my like random thing here. Um, like I don't ask for like likes and subscribers, but I kind of look at similar size channels and then I get as much, if not more engagement. So it's, it's interesting to kind of pick through almost the psychology of YouTube videos and, and, and the audience you have watching your channel. Um, yeah, it's just, that's been a really, um, cool process. Um, maybe not cool. Frustrating is probably a better word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm absolutely agreeing with you on that one. Um, I mean, incidentally, viewers, Deanna may not ask for likes and subscriptions for her content, but we do. So if you are enjoying what you uh, see, make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Of course, if you are in and around uh, Deanna's neck of the woods on YouTube, make sure to check her content out as well. You won't regret it. I can guarantee you that much. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's very binge-worthy, actually, some of, you, some of the stuff uh, on your channel as well, the reactions, this is quite funny. Um, I mean, I, I say that because, you know, you, you look at certain thumbnails and the reactions that you post on your thumbnails completely just, it pretty much draws you into, obviously, what you want to see, and it's exactly like that. Um, uh, I mean, I was trying to think of what question I was going to ask based on that, but you know what, I'll, I'll gloss over that, and then I'll go to the next <laughs> thing. Because you mentioned earlier on, you... Um, we're doing a track experience. Was it a Ferrari 488 that you mentioned you? What yes. was that like? Because I'm quite intrigued about this part because I know that you're not the biggest Ferrari fan when it comes to F1. <laughs> so I'm quite intrigued to learn about your experience actually driving one. Yeah. So, I mean, I like, it was that it was over in, in, in a second, but I had the absolute best time. It probably was not in the greatest shape for it in the world because they, they bring these things everywhere. But yeah, they have a, driver with you that kind of coaches you through it. Um, so there's a video somewhere of me doing it, but I've never watched it. I don't know why. I'm just like, I know it was really bad probably, but like when I was driving, I was like, oh, this is so fast. Like I'm doing great. But I was like, I don't want to like actually see the reality of what that was <laughs> like, what that laugh was like. But yeah, it was, it was fun. And yeah, I loved it. So I can imagine but. the first time you put your foot on the throttle, literally the instructor's like yeah that's fine and then you're just holding your wheel just like crazy it's like oh my god this is so powerful yeah um yep. i mean did they let you drive as fast as you feel like you could in that because i've done a similar experience but it was in a bmw m5 similar to what they did in the touring cars yeah and i got told off for going into sixth gear down the back straight of brands hatch when they wanted me to keep it in fifth i'm like but it's gonna rev and the engine's gonna be damaged if i just yeah. leave it it's like no stay in fifth gear i'm like oh good say did you have any experience like that or did they just let you go balls to the wall on it. Yeah. So they have kind of guides where you should like, where you should be breaking um, and going into a corner, but the driver works, the guy that's with you works with you. And it's like, if they think you can do more, they let you do more. Um, which is kind of, I think the, the breaking cones that they had were very, very conservative. So the guy kind of let me go further and I did break early quite a lot. I think that was probably uh, what I'm not used to in my from my aesthetic days <laughs> the brakes on that thing weren't so hot so this is a whole new experience well they were at um, one point from what you told me yes oh well yeah, yeah. the overheating is different <laughs> from <laughs> actually working so yeah 
Oh, wow. So, no, that's definitely an experience. I mean, I've never driven a Ferrari myself. That's definitely a bucket list, um, but pre- preferably the F2004, but, you know, you ain't going to have many of those lying around. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to just spam Ferrari with letter after letter because watching Martin Brundle doing a documentary on that and getting a go after writing a letter many years ago, if I just do that, eventually they might just let me have one thing just to shut him Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah. Worth a shot. <laughs> as long as they don't forward me the repair bill. It's like Formula E where they say if you break it, you buy it to any VIP going. It's like I would I probably still would go, but I'd be tippy toeing around every single corner just because it's like, yeah. no, I am not risking it, I'll just floor no, it down the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um okay, I have got to ask, you know, just uh out of concern more than anything else, how in the world did you bust up your knee? Okay, how much time you have? Um, <laughs> as much time as you like. It's the listeners that choose to carry on listening or not. So, <laughs> Okay, so I was in Dallas, Texas, and a couple of my friends, we got a drink um, or two and decided to go to dinner, which was about a half mile away. There were a few um, of the electric scooters sitting outside, and we're like, okay, great, we'll take these. Um so one of my friends told me where the accelerator was, um, and I was, so I started doing that. I was like, oh, this is fun. So I went full throttle as fast as I could. I'm going probably 20 miles an hour down a hill. I see a light turn red. I realized I don't know how to break. I didn't ask that question. So I like reverted back to what I did when I was five years old on my like little razor scooter. And I just stuck my leg out. So from 20 miles an hour, it like twisted under me. Mm. I was able to like run a couple steps. My like scooter goes flying and catch myself. But I knew I like messed up my knee at that point. But behind me, both of my friends fell. So one just got bruised, but the other one jumped two feet off the side and went headfirst into the concrete. Um, or like we're in the middle of a four lane road. So we are taking up the three of us falling, just taking up a full lane of the road. And so I was like holding my knee. I look up, I see my friend, she's fully concussed. I thought she died. Like she was just like tied up with her scooter and completely like, it, it was a horrifying, like half a second in my life, but she got up and, and she was fine. And then we all went to the hospital and they told me I had a bone contusion and that would get better in a month. So then I limped around for a month. It didn't get better. Uh, I went and got an MRI And then that's when they told me I had a torn ACL and a partially torn meniscus. So I was going home for surgery because I, at that point, was living in a lofted apartment, couldn't really do the whole knee surgery situation there. So I was coming home, but at the same time, COVID was happening. So my surgery was supposed to happen. And the weekend after they said no more elective surgeries. So it got pushed another two months and I got surgery on my birthday. Well, that's... (laughs) one birthday (laughs) present i suppose um usually i just ask for cash usually for my birthday but uh yeah wow that was the best birthday present i ever had because for four months i was walking around with a torn acl um (laughs) and i was just like thank god (laughs) i'll take it yeah i can see why youtube now filled a void in your life after uh, an incident like that but no well i mean it sounds like you're on the mend or if you aren't already then yeah that's great um well no, you. Yeah, sorry, well, you were this led into the hand incident. Oh, you might as well lead off. You, you might knee. as well lead off with that one because I was going <laughs> to ask you about that, but you've given the, me the perfect yeah. opportunity. So, uh, yeah, what happened with your hand? So I it was my very first day in my apartment, and I was like, I'm going to try to eat healthy now, and I had an avocado, 
and a knife and a brand new knife because I just moved in and cut through the avocado and it went through the pit and then through my hand. Uh, so I got nine stitches from that. Again, they told me it'd get better in a month. It didn't get better in a month. So when I was at my one year checkup for my knee, they were like, you should go see the hand surgeon. And I did. And then they told me I needed to get surgery to repair the nerve. And so that is this fun thing. <laughs> and that's been my whole last year and a half. Wow. Uh, that, that's what's been going on. Well, it, it's stories like that, that I'm really grateful. We have the NHS in the UK and we're, they do such an amazing job because I imagine that probably wasn't fun when they gave you the bill after that one. No, it wasn't cheap. Uh, I mean, it's not, it wasn't too bad, but I actually got refunded for like half of my knee surgery out of nowhere. I don't know if they were supposed to do that or not, but I'm just not going to say a word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just roll with it. I don't know why or how, but, but I'll take it. But yeah, it's definitely some um, unforeseen costs that I would have rather not incurred, but yeah, it does get expensive. Yeah. I don't know, it sounds painful just hearing about it. I can't imagine what it was like when you actually did it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you obviously had an interest in other sports as well before Formula One come along as you were growing up. Uh, were there any particular that you, you know, that you did? So I actually danced competitively. So for 14 years from four to 18. Um, yeah, that was my big, big thing. But I was not good enough to do anything with it. And by the time I made it to the end, I kind of, I was definitely very much done. But uh, that, that's what the sport I did. I also, um, I attempted, I get really, really into the Olympics. So after one Olympic cycle, I attempted volleyball. I'm a little too short for that. Um, and then another one I attempted diving and that did not go so well. I have a fear of heights. So why I ever thought that would be a thing I'd be good at. I don't know. I did some tumbling. So I was like, maybe it'll like all work itself out but it, it didn't it really really didn't i was so bad at it. yeah I, I saw that video so i was tempted to ask you about that and i thought that was hilarious um i mean how's your chest after something like that i mean that looked like it hurt so yeah so my it was the front of my legs were bruised all the way down um yeah i didn't think that would happen it, it knocks the wind out of you um and then Kids suck, so I got out of the pool and everybody started laughing. So it was a great experience. <laughs> sort of wait for you to surface and say, oh, she's alive. We can start laughing now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, it was all sorts of fun. I mean, at least you tried it. I certainly would not try diving, for lack of a better way of putting it. Because, I mean, we just watched, obviously, Tom Daly uh, get a gold medal and a bronze medal, of course, at the Olympics. Yeah. And some of the stuff that he does is absolutely crazy. And I just think, you know what, Tom? Better you than me. Because clearly you know what you're doing. I would... No, it looked like something out of a Peter Kay sketch. And of course, that's for the UK viewers. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about, the old John Smith adverts. Um, I'll have to send you a link to that so you'll know what I'm talking okay. about later on <laughs> to see exactly what it looked like. It's basically just him doing a cannonball in the swimming pool and he gets 10s yeah. for it. And he's, yeah, that's that's Britain for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, back to, of course, uh, on your content in particular. Um, I, I'm curious to learn about Outlap, Outlap F1. Of course, you were part of the Outlap F1 podcast with... John and Andy and James and you know how did that all start was that something you'd done for a while or were you quite new to it when you started your content so I I'm the most recent addition um so they started two years ago John and James and they added Andy last year and then me full time this year um so that started when I started my Twitter account they were one of the very first people that responded to me, followed me, all that kind of stuff. And, and we started talking. They were like, oh, another person from the U.S. Um, and then I started bouncing ideas off of them when I started the podcast. Um, and then they were like, okay, why don't you come on an episode some, one time and, and promote it? 
And so I went and that was my first time ever doing a kind of long form talking to somebody else type situation. Um, but we had a lot of fun. It was a great time. They asked me to come back on again later in the season. And then after that, uh, after they decided, all right, let's just have you full time. So now I've been on there and yeah, I really love that because I don't think my videos, I get everything I want to get across across. And I think after the race, especially when I'm editing the video and I'm basically watching it like three more times, um, <laughs> you learn a lot more and you're like, oh, this person ended up here. And then uh, everything on Twitter and more people coming out with like onboards and things like that. Um, so kind of digging into more of that stuff later on, uh, I enjoy. So yeah, it's great to be able to kind of have both the best of both worlds with, without lap and relapsed. Wow, that was, I've never seen, said the two of those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's great because um, a lot of people that I speak to that are F1 fans or motorsport fans in particular, they always say that it's really hard to find people in your own inner circle that have a passion for the sport or even like the sport anywhere near uh, to the degree that you do. And, you know, I was quite lucky because uh, me and Courtney, we met each other when we were uh, growing up. We went to school together and obviously our friendship was very much established on uh, the basis that we had a big passion for Formula One in particular. And, you know, so obviously naturally that would grow from there. And obviously we decided to make a podcast probably five or six years after we originally said we were going to do it. And eventually we just thought, fuck it, we're just doing it. Um, yeah. And now it's just a part, you know, it's like, how did we last so long without doing it? But no, it's really cool that you know, you can meet people and interact with people in the uh, F1 community or motorsport community, even to a degree where you actually set up a podcast together. And judging by the size of America, it's, it's probably pretty crazy to try and get the four of you all together uh, at the same time, because you guys are all spread out a bit all over the place, aren't you? I think uh, I think Andy's based in Chicago and uh, obviously you're based in the city as well. So, yeah, it's probably a bit mental trying to get everyone together and scheduling and everything else. <laughs> It's actually, it's not too bad. We only got, we're covered over two time zones. So it's only an hour difference um, between Eastern and Central. So it's not too, too bad. Um, but I actually did just get to meet them last weekend in Nashville. We went to the Indy race. Um, so that's really awesome. It's, they're, they're great guys. And it's just so much fun to uh, sit and, and chat with them every week. And I love it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that must have been a fun experience. I mean, we can talk indie for a little bit before we get onto the F1 stuff. Um, obviously, you mentioned you've started to get into it a bit more. I've always been in and out of it. I'll be honest, I'm one of those fans that I'll turn up for the Indy 500, and that'll probably be the only indie race I'll watch all yeah. year, just because it's the Indy 500. Um, but over the last few years, of course, there's been an influx of Formula 1 drivers, particularly this year with Romain Grosjean in particular, someone that's caught my interest, of course, from the Formula 1 days and following his story and obviously into IndyCar. Um for you, obviously, you went to the uh, Music City Grand Prix in Nashville uh, the other week. Um, what would you say, comparing IndyCar to Formula One, um, what, are the, what are the biggest differences that you've noticed between those two? Because you know, it's not too much to separate them in certain regards, other than performance, of course. Yeah, I feel like it's mostly... I mean, it's mostly the cars. I feel like they're very kind of different products at the end of the day. And I feel like there's so many people try to compare them. I mean, you can't compare them, but I just kind of, they live in separate spots of my brain, I think. And that's why I can kind of enjoy both. But I think Indy with them being close to stock kind of, or like not stock cars. What am I looking for? Uh, They're all very similar. Basically. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Um, So I think that's just really cool. And, and you see, I feel like a lot more of the driver input into that. Um, and then they're kind of always crazy and chaotic. And I just think, and you, we saw last week of those cars take a beating, which I think that's a little bit unlike F1, but F1, I think 
there's so much of the development that goes into it that it's just insane what like the absolute peak of kind of engineering can create. And then, I mean, there's some amazing racing in F1 as well, but uh, maybe not as much as, as Indy. Um, so yeah, I just, I love having both. I love being able to watch more than watch. Uh, well, now my whole summer break is just filled with three Indy races and then we're back onto the season. So it's not, it's not too bad. Yeah. It's quite convenient how it's kind of all worked out. Um, are there any other racing series that you like enjoying? Cause I mean, from following your content, I've kind of got the impression that you're the sort of person that if it's got wheels and an engine, I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah. If I have time is typically a big factor. Uh, and it's on, I will watch it. And I think this year I really got into formula E or relatively recently because I went to the New York E Prix. And so that was just fun to see. That was actually the very first race I had ever been to. And it was a Formula U race. Very, very different product from uh, Indy. <laughs> uh, much, much louder, Indy. But anyway, it, and it was just fun to go there and, and see those cars. And they definitely sound much better in person. So I think from there, uh, Formula E is another one where it's just so chaotic. But I kind of really enjoy the chaos of it. Um, it definitely has a lot of faults and, and things that could be changed and improved. Like, I hate fan boost why we have a popularity contest in the middle of a race. I, I don't know. But anyway, that's that's probably Formula E's up there. Um, I will watch a NASCAR race if it's on. I don't know much about it. Uh, same with something like MotoGP. So that was, and then Formula 2 and Formula 3. But yeah, so those are kind of where I, what I watch. Yeah, I mean, NASCAR is a sort of racing that I, I, I don't watch NASCAR. I have seen one or two races, um, particularly when, you know, the Daytona race or, you know, something crazy like that. Um, but it just seems like one of those sports would be much, much more fun to compete in than to actually watch in the stands. You know, people say, oh, they drive around in circles where the old cliche comes from when it comes to racing. But in that one, it's almost like, I reckon it's probably so much fun if you're actually behind the wheel of one of those stock cars and just going around and you can actually appreciate a lot more if you're actually doing that, um, than actually watching it. I mean, Formula E, yeah, I'll admit I've watched it a little bit more this season. Of course, the season has just finished. Of course, we have Nick DeVries winning the championship and uh, surprise, surprise, Mercedes going from another category of racing. I think we're going to dominate that one. But of course, they're leaving Formula E uh, from what I've been hearing. So that's a bit of a strange one, how that's all happened. Yeah, I don't know too much about the kind of inner workings on that one. But yeah, more Mercedes domination. What are you going to do? But I mean, they looked, it's just, you literally just could have picked a name out of a hat, probably. Um, before this weekend started and, and be like, okay, yep, that makes sense that this person and this team wins this championship. It's just all over the place, mostly because the qualifying format should probably change. Uh, the groups uh, have definitely thrown a wrench into a, a lot of people's seasons. So, but anyway, good for DeVries. Uh, yeah, congrats. <laughs> I mean, do, do you think we're going to see perhaps uh, see Nick DeVries in Formula One next season? There's been rumors about the Williams team. And of course, with the links uh, to Mercedes, there's obviously a door that might be open for him. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see it. I think if you win F2, you should at least get a shot. Um, and maybe his might come a little bit late, but I would like to see him get that shot. Um, I think Williams right now have plenty of funding. Love Latifi, but he's not the next <laughs> kind of star driver in that program. Um, I think they should probably, should Russell leave, um, get an experienced driver in there, say, a Bottas or a Hulkenberg or something like that, and then have someone like DeVries alongside, um, I think would be an ideal pairing, at least in my I, mind, for, for Williams next year. 
Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's so many candidates for the Williams seat. And of course, with Dan Tickton, of course, parting ways with Williams, not owing to the streamers most people thought, uh, based on the comments that you made about Latifi on that, yeah. it was more to the fact that there wasn't a seat available to him, which I can understand with uh, someone like Dan Tickton. It's a shame, but of course, you know, there's only a finite number of seats. There does seem to be this almost sense of inevitability with uh, Nicholas Latifi that his seat may become... Uh, well, he may, he may not have it next season. Of course, there's so many options now. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, before we move on to talking about Formula One, um, for the fun part, of course, the, the main reason for the episode. Um, obviously, guys, this series is about learning more about women in motorsport and, of course, in this case, content creators. And I think overall it's important to kind of get a vibe as to what it is like from the perspective of a woman content creator, kind of not necessarily uh, breaking the stigma, of, uh, you know, only guys can appreciate cars, et cetera, et cetera, all that rubbish. Um, but obviously, you know, trying to see how, how, in what capacity that still exists today, because we don't have any women Formula One drivers at the moment. We've only ever had two in the history of the sport. Um, Leila Lombardi, of course, being the most recent one back in the 70s. Um, but Deanna, I, I'm kind of curious to kind of uh, sort of learn a bit of that perspective from you, if, if I can. Um, what is the general feedback been to you with your content and obviously being so actively talking about motorsport and obviously stuff on your channel is it a positive feedback or are there any you know distasteful negative comments that you get from time to time yeah i think it's 99 positive um and then you get a couple of the one percent mostly the one percent is telling me i a hamilton hater or i'm stupid or i'm a hamilton fan <laughs> depends on the day um or just kind of general hate towards me which i actually i expected that i'm a very opinionated person in a very subjective sport it was going to happen it's inevitable especially doing reacting to all of these races so that is most of my kind of general hate just becomes from people have differing opinions from me and just kind of take it out and the comment section, which whatever fine i just kind of let them i ignore it and just like let it happen it's fine um well not fine, but yeah. anyway, um, I would say I do get, um, I've never really gotten negative. Like you can't do this because you're a woman. I've never gotten anything like that. Um, I do get some aggressive, like people hitting on me type comments and stuff like that, which makes me really super uncomfortable. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it, it, it really hasn't been too bad. No, no, that's fair enough. I mean, obviously I asked because that's the sort of thing. I mean, what the last part that you mentioned, obviously being aggressively hit on by weirdos on the internet, who, who doesn't love that? But um, that's something that obviously someone like me, I've never ever experienced as a content creator. And, you know, there's always, I don't know, there's always this negative, as I said, this negative opinion, really, really stupid one that I imagine some people probably watch Formula One and hypothetically they put the two of us in a position as a presenter or a pundit or a broadcaster and most people I you know back in the day would probably take me more seriously just because of the fact that I'm a guy even though having heard you talk about Formula One and the way that you express it and the way that you're passionate about it I was taken aback by how impressed how impressive you were when I was on a podcast with you before with Outlap and you know I, I shouldn't be because that that's a totally normal thing uh, it just surprised me with the stigma that exists um, to some capacity and we have so many great uh, women broadcasters in the UK I'm sure we do in America not that I follow the American coverage in any way and we're seeing it more and more and more now and and in other sports as well I think football is a great example or soccer if you like and that's the only time I'm going to call it that um, 
yeah andy asked me about it i said no absolutely not um <laughs> but uh but um yeah and i i you know you watch it and you see i think we had i think there was one game not long ago where the whole team of broadcasters were women and the amount of comments negative comments from red idiots that were just saying that oh why you know i'm not going to watch it anymore if they're just going to be trying to be all extra woke and just throw this women agenda at everyone i'm just like oh for goodness sake literally are you really that hell-bent over the fact that um you know over the gender of a person if they know what they're talking about and they love the sport like anyone else who cares honestly but um as i said i only ask because it's the sort of feedback that i would never get and of course you know people hitting on you that's yeah that's a a bit cringe i think the lesson on that one the better um but uh, I, I mean you know overall i would you know do you think the landscape of f1 this is probably a pretty big question so obviously if you're not able to answer it and you think oh, that's a bit <laughs> vague then you know go okay. for it but do you think the landscape is improving for women in motorsport and, and i mean from the, the whole the whole landscape i.e uh you know m- more access for women to drive in formula one or drive in motorsport or for women to be involved in a media capacity or just for women to f- be involved in the conversation of formula one like yourself and other women that have created channels similar to yours yeah i think it seems i mean i still like being here like for like a couple of years it does seem that it's getting better um you have W series, which I think is a great series and gives a lot of women a great opportunity um, to get more racing experience. I think maybe, I think the more that we see more women in kind of driving and kind of getting that exposure, the more you inspire younger girls to get into it. And then the more you have getting involved in the feeder series, the more likely later down the line we'll have, for, for people to kind of make it to those upper echelons. Um, so I think having something like the W series, I think is an excellent, excellent um, thing for kind of the future and for the, for those women now. Um, I think it's definitely male dominated uh, and probably will continue to be for the next little bit here. Uh, but I think every single day you see more women getting involved, you see more content creators and um, yeah, I think it's just, it's the landscape is opening um and and i'm excited to see kind of where we go from here yeah i mean it's certainly encouraging i mean the w series has done an, a lot for women in motorsports a lot more exposure as well because i feel like um i think one of the most amazing things for me was when i first started watching the grand tour and of course anyone who's watched Tip, top gear will remember the stig and they went a completely different direction and obviously employed abby eaton who incidentally does yeah. racing the w series and she's a fantastic driver uh, so are many others in the w series jamie chadwick of course alice powell you know so many great drivers who i think given the right funding and the right opportunities could make it into formula one in some capacity someday we've had test drivers in the past obviously the late maria de Velotta, uh you know she did a great job of course before her yeah. tragic accident um, and, and she probably could have made it into Formula One. We've had obviously had Calderon, who raced in F2. Sophia Flesch, of course, who uh, has raced a lot in Formula 3. And, of course, very famously, that incident that happened at Macau, of course, that's not what she'll be remembered for. She's a very talented driver in her own right. So there's so many different uh, women that are now getting involved more in motorsport. And, and as you said, Deanna, I think it's a great thing that inspires the next generation of women drivers young girls who obviously see this and think oh there actually is an avenue for me in motorsport if i want to take it up because i can imagine a lot of young girls probably watched it when we were kids and probably were put off by it because they probably turned up to a carton event and saw every other person was a guy 
that they were racing against. I think when I competed in karting, in all the years that I competed in karting, I only think I raced against one girl and that was it. And I could probably say I raced against hundreds, maybe thousands of guys. And it's and it must be quite yeah. daunting for that young girl to think, oh God, you know, what what kind of world am I getting myself into? Um I mean, imagine it must be quite scary being in that sort of position. I'm not sure. I mean, it. I mean, I always was kind of and have always been in male dominated industries or, or interests or stuff like that. Like I just was like in middle school, I was the only girl in like a wood, like woodworking class. Um, so I think it, it, it does kind of take something like that not to like give myself a whole lot of like praise here, but like I think it, it takes that one girl. To, and then to hopefully inspire more and more and more and let it uh, snowball. So I think the more opportunities are given, the more we see people in these roles, I think the better it will be down the line. So yeah, it, it, it's, it just takes a, a, just takes one. And then hopefully it, that kind of keeps going from there. Absolutely. Do you think we'll see a woman driver in F1 in the next 10 years, just as a ballpark date? 10 years? I'm trying to think. I think probably still... The best at the moment is Juju Noda. Uh, so we'll see where she goes from there. So hopefully. Yeah. No, well, this, you know, this hope for the best. I mean, IndyCar have been quite progressive in that cast, of course. Uh, the most famous one I can think of, obviously, Danica Patrick, obviously in NASCAR yeah. and IndyCar, and she did a phenomenal job. We had a few women in the Indy 500 over the last couple of years as well. So there's certainly no, um, there's, there's certainly nothing uh well scientific or you know evidence to suggest that women can't drive fast cars to that capacity or can't yeah. handle it because they certainly can i remember yeah. reading I, yeah sorry sorry this is just random side note on dan Kirkpatrick. that's the first nascar driver i think of because i mean i was younger when she was kind of in her prime i guess um but i just always remember my dad always cheered for her because she was the only girl there and, and uh or woman there and, and yeah that's i was just i remember we'd watch races and, and, and look for the like green go daddy car every now and again whenever a race would come on um yeah so that's that's kind of what i remember and, and growing up that's probably again yeah that's one of the nascar drivers that i could probably name from kind of getting into all this yeah i mean for me i don't know many nascar drivers i mean i've heard of carl bush and jeff gordon and a few others but yeah danica definitely sticks i mean as you said the the bright green go daddy livery on that car you could pick that car out a mile away yeah um and no but this is it i I think as you pointed out correctly the more you know it only takes one and then of course more women will get involved more opportunities to become uh you know will become available to them and hopefully one day we'll see a woman driver on the grid. Um, I'm certainly confident it's not too far away. I think it just needs the right woman with the right opportunities. And hopefully the W series can provide that. There's certainly been knocking on the door. Um, So hopefully one day we will get one. I don't think it'll be too far away, but of course we'll have to wait and see how that pans out for them. I mean, you know, who would have said 30, 40 years ago that someone like Lewis Hamilton would have turned up on the grid. And now he's arguably the greatest driver of all time. So it shows what shows what we know, eh? (laughs) <laughs> and uh but of course you know that let's get on to the, f- the fun stuff about formula one of course this season um i mean there's so much to unpick from this championship already diana we've obviously the, the talking point max verstappen versus lewis hamilton how have you seen this season unfold so far are you surprised that we are going into the summer well we're in the summer break now with practically a ha- only a handful of points between the two of them yeah it's been um Sorry about my sirens. I live on a very busy street here. NYPD um, on patrol. 
Uh, so Max versus Liz, I think it's been, I mean, I love it. I think this is probably going to be one of the more memorable or one of the best seasons of all time, given how close that, that championship battle is. And even different from the Hamilton versus Rosberg, it's, it's with two different teams at kind of near the same level. I think it's awesome on different weekends. It seems like the cars, a different one of them or the other is, is better on a particular track, which makes it super interesting. Um, I think Max should definitely be further ahead than he is now. He's had more bad luck. Lewis, Lewis has had some good luck. Would have re- probably retired from Silverstone without a red flag. Would have retired or, or ended up in somewhere in the back uh, at Imola if it weren't for a red flag. Um, and so he's had some luck there, but he's done some amazing driving coming back through um, in Silverstone and then again in Hungary uh, t- to get a podium there. So um I think it's just awesome to see such high level kind of drivers at their peak with both Max and Lewis. And at this point, uh, I mean, I want to see the end of kind of Mercedes domination, but I just love that we're getting such a close championship battle and, and, and seeing these guys really go at it is awesome. It's awesome. And I think it's really doing great stuff for, for F1 as a whole, uh, getting kind of engagement and, and, and kind of it more out there. Yeah, I mean, I remember last season when they homologated the 2021 rules to 2022, of course, we'll be seeing those new cars next season. And a lot of people thought that it was just a slam dunk eighth world championship for Mercedes that were basically just given them another year with the by far the best car, with the best driver on the grid. It's only going to end up with one outcome. And this season, of course, we've seen a lot of changes which have affected Mercedes in a negative way, not with an agenda to slow them down, although I'd be very surprised if that wasn't one of the reasons why they did it. It has happened in the past in Formula One. Um, you know, the two, the 2000s was really hilarious for that. The amount of times that Max Mosley, the FIA and Bernie Eccleston tried to slow Ferrari down until eventually yeah. they did in 2005 to such a large degree. And uh, it, it's similar in a way to what's happening right now. Of course, the show is only great as a product to sell to audiences around the world if there's a championship worth fighting for. And of course, until recently, we haven't really had that battle, um, as you said before, Rosberg and Hamilton. Um, but in Max Verstappen, we've obviously got a challenger that is of the level, not just with the car in his hands to beat Mercedes and Hamilton, but of the level as well. And I've been asked a few people this now, but I do feel that this is probably the hardest fight that Lewis has ever had in his Formula 1 career, maybe even more harder than the one he had with Alonso in 2007 and of course the fight he had with Nico Rosberg in 2016 um how do you see that uh that um Diana do you feel that this has been Lewis's toughest test yet or do you feel that uh the Rosberg one was perhaps a little bit more intense I um, I don't know I feel like it's going to take the whole season to kind of look back and, and assess the two but I, right now maybe it's just because we're in the middle I feel like it's this one um I think because you're dealing with kind of, I mean, they were in the same machinery with, with Hamilton and Rosberg, which maybe I don't know where you put that, but I think that makes this a little bit more dynamic. Um, and you have Max that is so not, I guess unforgiving is the best word and his driving style or uncompromising, I'd say. Um, so that's just a difficult uh, kind of, or makes for an interesting battle between the two of them. So I don't know. It's, it's also kind of like, the changing of the guards almost is what this season feels like too um with a lot of those kind of younger drivers coming up like lando um and like max and then kind of going up against people like lewis so uh 
Yeah, I just think there's a lot of interesting dynamics. I also think outside of just the title fight in itself, I think down the grid, super interesting as well. Um, and there's been a lot of great storylines throughout um, all the teams for the most part. So, yeah, it's just, I, I, I anyway, I would say this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to make a point actually saying this might be a good opportunity for you to do another Drive to Survive react when eventually that one comes out later this year. There's probably going to be loads of stories to talk about. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, the way this season is going down, either one of them could win it. I, I think one thing I, I was worried that was going to happen, and my co-host Courtney repeated this over and over again. It was almost like a weekly basis. He was, um, you know, making this concern was that Red Bull were doing so well and Max was dominating for a period. Obviously, there were five races. He won four of them, should have won the fifth one in Baku. And he was worried that they were running away with the championship. And of course, the last couple yeah. of races, it's out of nowhere, through no fault of Max's, uh, to a degree, with the exception of Silverstone somewhat, that, you know, the championship is back on again. And owing to what Mercedes have done, there's no guarantee that Red Bull will be able to overhaul them again. It may just be back and forth to the end of the season. So with all that in mind, Deanna, I'm going to put the uh, million dollar question to you. Who do you think is going to come out on top at the end of the season, whether it be at Abu Dhabi or at Jeddah? Who's going to be world champion? <sighs> so difficult. Um, I feel like at this point, yeah, but after Austria, it did look like Red Bull was just going to run away with it. But I'm going to say that it's going to be Max and, and it's going to be the end of uh, Mercedes domination here. So, and, and don't worry, most of our audience are sort of on the fence with this. Some of them are pro Hamilton, some of them are pro Max. I think we get the only sort of negative feedback that we get on our channel is mostly people thinking we're too biased towards Lewis or too biased towards Max or not enough. And it's like, well, yeah. can't you guys all just meet in the middle of each other? Because clearly there's two halves going on here. So we can't be both. We have to be just one or the <laughs> other. Or just, you know, we try to be impartial, although we do have our favourites. Um, I'm almost tempted to ask if you have any favourites in particular other than Gasly, but um, I am probably know which team you're not going to be a fan, fan of. No, and it's so frustrating because I like Ferrari's drivers. Um, I love the dynamic between Sainz and Leclerc. I think that's easily to me the best driver pairing on the grid um i like them i just can't stand ferrari but that's a whole other situation um, so i'm happy when they do well and they're yeah. like kind of a underdog ish now after the whole engine thing even though i was like partying last year after they kind of cheated and then kind of got what was coming <laughs> to them but now i'm like all right you can come back now <laughs> yeah, you guys have been humbled now i can you can start to win me yeah. over no i was going to say you're lucky yeah. because um I, I recently ordered a new ferrari shirt and it hasn't arrived yet and i was going to wear it <laughs> just just for you i was going to wear it um on the video podcast of course if you're listening um i'm clearly not wearing a ferrari shirt so uh, that's why deanna's still on the show she probably would have ended the call yeah. literally two minutes and it's like fuck's sake guys. <laughs> you knew yeah but uh you know I, i'd have done it i just said do it for james i'm sure he'd have rated me for it but um James is a bit of a Ferrari fan as well. Probably the only Ferrari yes. fan I know um, in, in the States. Most, you know, but, you know, people tell me that. Oh, there's a huge contingent of Ferrari fans here. I think it's just because mm. it's the most recognizable brand. So uh, there, there's there's quite a few out this way. I think I need to meet more Americans to make more friends in the F1 community over there because they sound like my kind of people. Whereas in the UK, yeah, but, you know, we have fans here that are Ferrari fans, but that, I mean, they're everywhere. They're like locusts. <laughs> they're everywhere. But um, you just... You can't find one for love nor money if you try and reach out to them in the country. It's usually Williams, McLaren, or yeah. Mercedes. Andy would love it. Uh, loads of McLaren yeah. fans in the UK. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's not a shortage of British drivers and or teams. <laughs> um, so 
yeah, you've got lots of options over there outside of Ferrari. Oh, yeah, yeah. Formula One is in very good hands as far as the British perspective. When Lewis goes, we're like, oh, that's sad. And then we'll see Lando and George uh, tearing yeah. it up. And maybe, you know, to a degree, Alex Albon, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, he's half British. So I think that's enough to sort of get on board with him. Uh, and obviously, the next crop of drivers coming through. Um, speaking of the rest of the field, Deanna, are there any drivers in particular that stood out for you this season outside the top two? Um. Well, I was going to talk about it for right, but I think Carlos Sainz, I think easily out of everybody that switched teams this year has done the best job. Um, and he's just con- consistently there or thereabouts to Leclerc um, in terms of pace, whether it be in qualifying or race. I mean, Leclerc still has him in quality, but uh, it's not a huge gulf between the two, um, which I think is really, really impressive um, coming from a McLaren that, according to Ricardo now, is, is somewhat difficult to drive. So to completely kind of switch to uh, from that to a Ferrari, uh, which I imagine is its own handful. Um, yeah, I think that's just been immensely impressive. Um, he has had some experience though switching teams, so maybe that's part of it. But I think he consistently impresses me for sure. Yeah, absolutely agree. I'm being, I'll be blatantly honest. I wanted Danny Rick in that car when it was announced last season. I yep. thought Danny Rick, yep, to have to go for him to replace Sebastian Vettel. And, you know, it didn't happen. He went to McLaren, Carlos Sainz went to Ferrari, and I had my concerns. But, um, you know, as the season went on last year, I kind of warmed to the idea of having Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari. really impressed me a lot in McLaren. Uh, You know, he impressed me a lot in his opening season when he was battling Max Verstappen. I still argue perhaps he was Max's toughest ever teammate uh, to a degree. But this season, he's been phenomenally good. And, you know, I I think Charles Leclerc definitely has another level, which we have seen on a few occasions this season that he goes into. But Carlos has certainly shown that he's more than capable of you know being at, at the very very least uh ferrari's number two but not by much as well and i think yeah i think more people need to give him credit for that so no it's 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 nice to hear that it's not just me that thinks that about carlos <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but that was my my bold season prediction was that he was going to be Leclerc this year which i think mm. right now he's ahead in points so we'll he see. is yes uh, it, it's a weird <laughs> one isn't it because it's like you know, Leclerc's putting some of the performances he has, but Carlos has been mega consistent. But of course, if it wasn't what happened in Hungary and of course in Monaco, um, you know, I mean, it depends on how you look at that because obviously Ferrari messed yeah. up and they should have done should have done their due diligence on the rear end of that car. But Charles was the one that put it in the wall. So it's like, you know, yeah. who do you feel sorry for in that situation? But um, I think that's the thing about Charles Leclerc. I do enjoy as a driver. Like, you know, his level is so, so high, but just when he makes mistakes they do tend to cost him more than other drivers do. Yeah. Um, is there anyone else in particular that's uh, caught your eye this season? I mean, I'm tempted to just throw his name in there, just to prod you in that direction. But uh, what have you thought about Lando Norris this season? Well, that's where I was going to head anyway. And I think that he's my driver of the season so far. I think to be almost halfway through the season and for him to still be in third ahead of a Red Bull and a Ferrari is insanely impressive. Um, the consistency... Um, and just, I think all around, he's been impressive in qualifying. He's been impressive kind of on opening the laps, which I think was in the past has been a, a kind of struggle for him and, and just kind of defending over like he's done. It feels like everything, um, especially kind of being back towards, um, being in that midfield. And I think outside, I mean, Lewis and Max is a great, great battle, but I also love the dynamic between McLaren and Ferrari right now. Um, and they always seem to be around the same bits of the track. So hopefully that'll kind of more come to a head as we, we, we go throughout the rest of the season. So, um, but yeah, Lando, I think 
he's been just so impressive. And, and I think that was just the biggest shock for me. I mean, he's been good in the past couple seasons, but I was not convinced he was this good or could be this good. So I'm very happy to be proven wrong on that one. And it's just been, yeah, it's been awesome to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people uh, in the UK probably looked at what was happening at McLaren and thought, oh, Danny Ricks is going to come into this team, assert himself as the number yeah. one driver and Lando will just be Lando. But um, considering that a lot of us were talking about George Russell as potential heir to Lewis Hamilton's throne, of course, we'll have to wait and see if that turns out to be true in the coming years at Mercedes, whether he gets the nod or not. But it is quite refreshing to talk about Lando in the same capacity as George now. And I think for a lot of reasons, Lando may have surpassed him at this point in his career. But of course, um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, On on the Bottas-Russell subject, um, I've I've got to ask, because I've asked everybody that I've talked to about this, who do you think it's going to be? Do you think Mercedes are going to keep Bottas for another year or are they going to pull the trigger and bring in George Russell? It has to be Russell, I think, at this point. Um, Bottas, he has been unlucky this season, but he has also not been amazing ever, really. I I am pretty harsh on Bottas all the time, though, so do excuse that. I'm a little biased against, but um, I think it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, it seems like a done deal. I feel like it's done a done deal. I think they're just trying to sort out where Bottas is going, whether that be Alpha or Williams or something like that. I absolutely think he should be on the grid next year. Um, I think they're just trying to figure out where. Um, I think a lot of people were talking about, oh, well, maybe they'll wait to like switch them so that Bottas doesn't like give up on the season. But I feel like if we, if like 95% of us, I feel like think that Russell is going to Mercedes. Um, I feel like Bottas probably gets that vibe as well. Um, I don't think, I think just making the decision probably gives them that freedom unless they're just trying to secure him to see elsewhere. I think that's the only logical thing in my head that makes sense. Um, Cause I feel like he knows that he's on his way out the way the comments have been in the past a uh, little bit here. Yeah. I'll be surprised if they don't already know. I mean, Russell was certainly hinted at it a lot. Um, it's very quickly almost becoming the worst kept secret in Formula One, although we don't really know yet. I mean, some of these things is slam dunk, and you know, yep, definitely, uh, it's definitely going to happen. But Mercedes in the past, they've been in that position where they will, they won't, they, and they've stuck with Bottas. So he's very much a known entity. They know what they have with Valtteri. And I think perhaps for them, the minimal objective for him is to be doing better than Red Bull's number two, which at the moment he is. So um, not that it's going to mean much this season by the looks of it, but of course, we'll just have to wait and see. And, you know, obviously you're saying, you know, pulling your punches on someone like Valtteri Bottas, but I feel like he's one of those drivers that not many people kind of, uh, you know, when it, when they uh, assess how Bottas is doing, they don't tend to sit on the fence with him. You're either a fan of his or you're not. And no one yeah. seems to be shy about expressing their opinion on Bottas compared to everyone else. Um, even I've noticed it myself. Like most drivers, I'm like, okay, fair game. I'll judge them on their merit and see how it goes. But even I like to think, I don't want to, criticize them too much to become across hearts unless they drive for ferrari then it's just you know all hell blazing but uh no with <laughs> with bottas it's it's all fair game yeah and i don't know i feel like part of it's the dynamic of being lewis's teammate like you're going up against the greatest driver the one like one of the biggest kind of just celebrities and personalities in the world um so every single time you're going anywhere everybody's giving lewis attention and then bottas is just kind of bottas and i think that makes it unfortunately kind of makes it easy to just be like oh like you're obviously not lewis so yeah which kind of now that i'm saying that kind of sucks and, and <laughs> it's not great for him he definitely has one of the hardest seats to be in in f1 i would say um going up against the list for so many years now um but i think 
I don't know. He's just been, it just feels like the entire time he's been there, it doesn't seem like there's been a huge improvement. Um, I mean, 2018, 2019, I think was, was better, but um, yeah, it's just like, he'll get some pulls. He's incredibly quick over one lap, but it just like, he just doesn't have the race pace or the race craft. Uh, if he gets stuck in traffic, then that's just kind of day done for him, mm. which I think is just frustrating to watch. Cause you're like, you're in the best car. Like, come on, what are you doing? Um, so I think it's just a frustration thing. And, and I think also past couple of years, we haven't really had a title battle because he couldn't keep up with Hamilton and that was the closest person to Hamilton. So um, I think there's just some frustration in that uh, where it's like, come on, if you were just like, a little bit better than maybe we'd have a something a little bit more exciting on our hands but yeah see i that's, think that's, that's like i think that's a big thing with bottas because for a long time people have always said that that mercedes is always the car that struggles to follow others more than than most and whenever i watch lewis fight his way through the pack he manages to do that to some degree when it comes yeah. to bottas he doesn't and i think that is the one thing that people tend to judge bottas on in terms of where he stands compared to lewis is the fact that lewis can go I think the Italian Grand Prix last year, Lewis can be in the position he was in and still fight his way near to, you know, the front and getting on the podium. Whereas Bottas, he probably would have stayed right at the back and not been able to get his way through. So it swings and roundabouts, but I think with Valtteri Bottas, I think Mercedes have exercised this long enough. And I think with George Russell, there is now a substantial risk that if they don't decide to take this chance on him, they may not get that opportunity because someone else could come in and perhaps try to tempt him. Maybe Red Bull, perhaps they might be tempted to try and see if they can persuade George Russell into their car instead. Um, one thing I did want to ask you before we wrap this up, because I am conscious of time. Um, I, on one of your videos, I think you mentioned that you have never used a kettle before or a kettle. <laughs> now, kettle. yes, a kettle. <laughs> you can do, the thing is with people from the UK, they pronounce it kettle in general. And I try to be as sophisticated when I talk as possible. But if you're, being from the East End of London, it's like you've probably heard some really bad East End accents where they don't pronounce a double T and they just go, oh, I have a bottle of lager or something stupid like that. <laughs> yeah. It's the same with kettle or kettle. Yeah, I see. I'm doing it now, you know, unconsciously. Kettle. Just, yeah, it's just the way we talk. <laughs> it's terrible. We invent the English language and then we butcher it in equal measure. Um, but there you go. Uh, yes, on the subject of the kettle, um, from what I remember you saying, you prefer to microwave water to make hot beverages oh. rather than use a kettle as a British person. And I mean, this in the nicest way, Deanna, what the hell? <laughs> well, okay. A, I don't do that often because I don't like tea. So that's probably another like check against me. Um, so, but I mean, I've had it in the past again, if I want something hot, I just stick it in the microwave. I don't need a kettle too. I just, they do the same thing. The water's just hot. Like I, the microwave does that. It's just I don't the understand same. the need for two appliances. I'm, I'm, I also, Everything I've ever cooked or do is just in the microwave. I really just, I only need a microwave and I will be happy with life. I mean, I could follow that with something really, really cringe. And I'm not going to do that because um, considering what we talked about about half an hour ago about weird guys hitting on you, but um, it's just, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, anyway, look, before before I cancel myself on this uh, podcast, um, yeah, I, I, honestly, I'll have to, respectively disagree with that with a passion yeah I, I think most of the world disagrees with me but it's okay I'm sticking to my sticking to my guns and then uh, I'm never going to change this one I, tell you I mean not to sound like a clever dick but have you ever microwave like you ever ordered takeout and it comes obviously it comes to your house however it comes and 
you can't eat it for whatever reason at the time. You have to eat it later on and it's cold. You stick it in the microwave and you warm it up to eat it later. And it's nowhere near as good. Have you ever had that before? Yeah, but we're talking about water. Yeah, water it's the same like thing. textures. It's just water. It's the it's same just thing. It's hot water. It's the same. It tastes the same in either situation. Like somebody tried to like say that to me about the toast situation. Like, but if you put toast in a microwave versus a toaster, you're going to get two completely different textures. Water, it's just water. It's not a different texture. I don't understand. I think you need to start using more kitchen appliances in your kitchen, Deanna. Uh, that didn't go very well for me. So no, we're good. <laughs> I'm going to stick with my microwave. <laughs> you still got one good hand and one good leg. Yeah. I mean, are they on opposite kind of. sides? Is it at least balanced? And, oh, Both God. left. It's oversteer and understeer all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that is certainly uh, interesting. And um, yeah, guys, let us know what you think. Do you think Deanna's right on microwave and hot water before she makes a hot beverage? I certainly don't agree. And I doubt many of you will. It, it, I'm sure the American contingency will probably be on my side with this one as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd end with that one. Because if I started with that early, I'd be worried a lot of people will be hovering over and closing the tab where they're watching this yeah, podcast on. So uh, but, um <laughs> Yeah, as I was saying, guys, Deanna doesn't often ask for likes and subscriptions to her channel, but I'm going to do it on her behalf. So if you do want to check out more of Deanna's content, make sure to check out Relapt uh, F1 on YouTube. Uh, some great content as well. Make sure to subscribe to her channel. And of course, you can follow her on social media as well under the same handles. Is that right? Yes, Relapt underscore F1, I believe is what they are. Brilliant. Although I never really think about it. <laughs> so hopefully that's right. Part of me feels like you've sort of lived in a cave up until the last couple of years until you've discovered F1. It's like, oh, social media is a thing. I mean, I envy you because once you oh. go through that social media door, you can't get out of it. No. Um, every single person that knows me just says that I live under a rock. They're like, oh, this like celebrity or this something happened. I'm like, I what? Who? Why? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't care <laughs> so about like, none of that. It's just social media yeah. in general. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've never, everybody always tells me I'm a rock. So yeah, I mean, yeah, social, social, social media for me, I was introduced to it about trying to not reveal my age too much when I say this to listeners, but about 10 or so years ago. And I'm no word of a lie. It was revealed to me because it was a way of watching Piers Morgan um, go back and forth with other celebrities or other people in general, just insult after insult. I mean, they said, oh, it's banter. We call it banter in the UK in America. It's probably yeah. just plain rude. Like just insulting people. Um, and, and that yeah. was literally the attraction, just to watch him in particular go at it with other people. And of course, now everybody does it. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's not the funniest place in the world. But once you go through that social media door, you can't it's, come out of it. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one, that's for sure. It's always <laughs> something new. Yeah, definitely. And it's hardly ever good, unfortunately. But uh, uh, that being said, guys, obviously don't want to sound too depressing. But yes, please do check out <laughs> Deanna's content. And of course, check out the Outlap F1 podcast that Deanna features on with her uh, co-host, Andy, James and John as well. They do a fantastic job over in the States. And if uh, our UK contingency that checks us out can check them out and of course expand their profile into a uk audience and that's always a good thing as well and of course if you have enjoyed this episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast featuring women of motorsport then don't worry we've got other episodes coming your way with a few other guests in the future but until then make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel until next time guys stay safe thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast take care Podcast Network.